welcome you today, and I join Richard in welcoming you. Thank you so much for being a part of Celebration Worship today on a rainy day and venturing out in the rain. This is Memorial Day weekend. It's a holiday weekend, and we are uh, want to take a moment and remember what it is that we do on this particular weekend. And so if you would, turn your attention to the screens. Hey, Grant, you want to give me a hand putting this flag up? Maybe later. Actually, I'd love to. And here I thought guys your age just wanted to talk about girls and face Graham on Insta-Twitter. So close, Grandpa. So close. So, uh, where's this flag going? Out front, like always. But there's already a flag out front. This is true. So, two flags? Grandpa, this isn't a double rainbow thing, is it? One flag is enough, don't you think? What's a double rainbow thing? You know the video where he's in his backyard and he can't understand why there's two rainbows and... You just kind of have to see it. To answer your question, I'm swapping the flags out. One out front, I'll fly you around. But this one... It's just for today. How come? Okay, this is one of those moments you wait for. It may as well be a neon sign. It says, dispense wisdom here. So what do I say to my grandson, whose generation seems more interested in selfies and sacrifice? What do I tell him about this flag? Come on. So, I fly this one every day just to remind myself. Of what? Of all those men and women who serve us, who protect us every day. Usually without much thanks. Without anybody even noticing how much they sacrifice. I don't want to forget that. So I fly this one to honor those men and women. Okay, I get that. But why this fly today? Well, I fly this particular flag to honor a buddy of mine, a guy I served with. Do I know him? No. I wish you could have. So what makes you want to honor him? Because he didn't come home. just as easily could have been me. I don't want to forget that. I don't want to forget any of the men and women who didn't get to come home. You know, sacrifice is not something you forget, Grant. So, that's why this particular flag on this particular day You know what? You do it. Me? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Can you hold my phone? Sure. sometimes fall into the trap, all of us do, of convincing ourselves that we are somehow owed or entitled a holiday, that the weekend is about us, and if it doesn't go well, if it rains, we're disappointed. And that's understandable, because isn't it amazing that the freedom that we have sometimes um, is so good and so big that we forget that it is not free, and there's always a cost. 
And so we wanted to pause as part of our worship celebration this morning and remember that the reason that we do celebrate is because it is about sacrifice. And the freedoms that we enjoy have come at the sacrifice and the willingness of others to give and some making ultimately the ultimate sacrifice. And so we remember that today. And as a part of our celebration, we want to pray. And we are grateful for the men and women who currently are serving in our military. We're grateful for those of you who have served in our military. And we certainly want to remember our Gold Star families who on this weekend, while everyone else is worried about barbecues and beach trips, also have a moment to remember that they have lost someone who did not come home and what that means. And so as I get ready to pray, I would like to ask you to do something. If you have served in the military, I would like you to stand as I pray and, and stand through that prayer, please, and take a look around. If you've served in the military, please stand. Go ahead, stand up. Take a look in this room at those who have served, and we are grateful for that service. Thank you so much. Please remain standing while I pray. Um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do live in a world where we are often more focused on selfies than sacrifice. And it's easy for us to get caught up and sometimes taking for granted the freedom that we have. We tend to live our lives sometimes like we're entitled for moments and entitled to have the opportunity to celebrate holidays and we forget that the holidays have come at a price, a very high price. And so, Lord, we remember the men and women who served in our military. We are thankful that all across this world right now, there are those that are representing this country, keeping this world safe, and allowing us to do what we're doing right now without even thinking about it sometimes. And, Lord, for the people who are in this room standing, we are thankful for them, their decision to serve, their willingness to make that choice the desire that they had to make a difference and the desire that they do have to make a difference. And we're thankful for the price that they have paid to help us celebrate our freedoms. And Heavenly Father, we are also mindful of those who have lost loved ones, who have family members who did not return. And Heavenly Father, on this day, we would ask that you would bless them, that you would put your arms around them and help them to know, help them to understand that there are folks just like ourselves who are incredibly grateful and overwhelmingly humbled by the sacrifice that their loved ones have been willing to make. And Heavenly Father, we also thank you for the freedom that only you can give and the blessing that you've given each of us the opportunity to enjoy as we get to be a part of this country, what it stands for, the journey it's been on, the tradition, and the foundation it was built on. And I would ask that you would help each of us to not only represent you, but it in ways that always glorify you. This is our prayer on this Memorial Day weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand and sing with me? Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to once again dig into a passage. Our uh, theme up here is 
Animal Crackers. We told you last week that we were starting a new series. We honored our graduates last week and kicked off a series where we're looking at um, some things that we discover about God and about ourselves and about the life we're created to live by looking in His Word at some maybe unusual stories that involve animals in some ways. And um, we kind of rolled it into this Animal Crackers idea. And we're actually going to share the history of Animal Crackers with you at some level. But that's kind of why we have these cages up here. Uh, Mufasa's on the outside here. Um, Terry's there. And then, um, <laughs> and of course, we got monkeys in this cage here. And And um, <laughs> some of you are going, how is that happening? And Caden's sitting there saying, can I have that when you're done with that? I can hear that right now going on in his head. And he'll be thinking about that all during worship this morning. Um, 2 Kings chapter 2 uh, is where we're at this morning. We're going to talk about the bear traffic controller. The bear traffic controller. And we're going to read a passage of scripture that is there in God's word that maybe you're not as familiar with as you could be. Or maybe you've heard it thought about it, seen it, uh, but didn't really ponder it too much. But this is it, verses 22 through 25 is where we go this morning. And it says this, And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. And verse 23, From there Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. And he turned around and he looked at them and he called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. That's the story now. If you're reading the Bible and that's your devotion for the day and you're right now you're at your journal and you're looking at your journal saying, what do I need to learn from this passage? Don't make fun of people with bald heads. I didn't even look up when I said that and I heard people calling out other people's names in the room. See, if there were bears in the room, you could be dead now. But it's one of those passages very much like we looked at last week when a donkey turns around and starts talking that you take a look and you go, what is going on in this passage and what does it mean about God, about me, and about what I need to know about God? There's something there. And believe it or not, there really is. And we're going to look at that this morning um, because it is uh, important to make sure that even the lessons, although the passages are a little bit unusual we're looking at, Um, and and a little bit of fun, and we're having some fun with them, they also teach some very important biblical truths. It is safe to say that the world that we live in is tough. Sometimes it is difficult. And you need to know, even going in, and we're reminded of that again in this passage, that no matter how tough it gets, God is in charge. It was a theme we hit last week. It's a theme we hit again this week. Um, And I want to share with you um, a note that someone Uh, sent me, uh, and it said this. This is for all the kids who survived the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. First of all, right up front, I want you to know that I grew up in a room with bright-colored, lead-based paint (laughs) and survived. We had no child-proof lids on our medicine bottles, doors, or cabinets, and when we rode our bikes, we rode without helmets. As infants and children, we would ride in cars with no seats, booster seats, seat belts, or airbags. Riding in the back of a pickup on a warm day was always a special treat. We drank water from the garden hose and not from a bottle. We shared one soft drink with four friends. We drank from one bottle, and no one died from this. We ate cupcakes, white bread, and real butter. We drank Kool-Aid with sugar, but it didn't seem to hurt us because we were always playing outside. We would leave early in the morning, and our parents were glad. (laughs) 
And we come home at the end of the day when the streetlights came on. No one was able to reach us all day long. And that was okay. We would spend hours building our go-karts out of scraps that we found everywhere we could, and we'd ride them down the hill, only to remember on the way down we forgot about brakes. <laughs> and after running into the bushes a few times, we learned to solve the problem. We didn't have PlayStations, Nintendos, Xboxes, or video games at all. No 150 channels on cable, no video movies, no DVDs, no surround sound CDs, iPods, no cell phones, no personal computers, no Internet or chat rooms. Instead, we fell out of trees got cut, broke bones and teeth, and there were no lawsuits over these accidents. We ate worms and mud pies made from dirt, and the worms did not live in us forever. We rode bikes or walked to a friend's house. We'd knock on the door, rang the bell. We just walked on in and talked to them. Little League had tryouts, and guess what? Everyone didn't make the team. And those who didn't had to learn to deal with disappointment. Imagine that. The idea of a parent bailing us out if we broke the law was unheard of. My parents actually sided with the law. <laughs> and out of this background, we have generations that have produced some of the best risk takers, problem solvers, and innovators ever. The past 50 years have been an explosion of innovation and new ideas. We had freedom, failure, success, responsibility, and we learned how to deal with it all. And if you're one of them, congratulations. I just wanted to share this with you. I was blessed to grow up as a kid before lawyers and government regulated so much of our lives for my own good. How did we make it? The grace of God. He took care of us then, and He takes care of us now, I still believe. And that gives me cause to celebrate. I think I'll celebrate by running through the house with scissors. All right. The, um, and, the, <laughs> and the idea behind that is, is simply this. We do live in a world where there are some times that maybe, just maybe, we're not as tough as we used to be. And I want you to know going in, this is a tough passage. Because the reality of what goes on in this passage is what you just heard. If you're sitting there going, okay, wait a minute, that sounds just bizarre. So these people came out of the... No, these people yelled at a prophet of God who got mad and cursed them. And then bears came out of the woods... And wiped them out. Mauled them. The Bible, this is symbolism, right? The Bible doesn't really mean that. I want you to know the Bible really means it. This is a passage about a bear attack in the Bible. And it's a passage about a bear attack in the Bible that God was in the middle of. Now that doesn't fit, once again, well, very good in the brochures that we give out, right? But when I titled the Bible study... The bear traffic controller, I'm talking about God. He's the one that made these events come together in the way that they did, and he did not do it by accident. There's something to learn from that. And so let me, if you have your worship flyer, um, the entrance ramp for today is called Getting Our Bearings. It's like a bad version of the country bear jamboree, isn't it? Getting Our Bearings. Um, Look at verse 22 and 23. And the water has remained wholesome to this day according to the word Elisha has spoken. And from there Elisha went to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. Now, Elisha has stepped in and has begun carrying on the work of Elijah. And he's used Elijah's very cloak to part the water on his return that Elijah had previously parted. Um... Elisha has, well, has used a pinch of salt to purify a town's water supply. As you continue to read the amazing story of Elisha, and we're doing a series on Elisha this upcoming year, so you'll hear a lot more about some of these things. But he perpetuated a widow's supply of oil to get her out of debt. He unpoisoned a pot of stew with a bit of flour. He fed a few hundred men with a small amount of bread. He caused a lost and borrowed axe head to float back to the surface of the Jordan River. And he bought, brought a dead boy back to life. This is a snippet of his life that sometimes gets lost in all of that, but it gives us a different glimpse of the prophet. And so since we're not covering this later, and because it had to deal with the bears, we're going to use it today. What has happened just before this, that little verse that we read at the beginning, the water has remained wholesome to this day, there has been a refreshment of a spring at Jericho that's taken place. And now Elisha is moving to Bethel which is one of the leading cities involved in idol worship. 
Bethel was the cult center, I guess, of the northern kings. And that is where this story takes place. And it's important to understand that, to get your bearings, if you will, because that background is essential to understanding the story. Okay? So let me give you the first main point that you need, and that's simply this. It is a bare-knuckled reality. A bare-knuckled reality. Or I could subtitle it, Bearing the Ridicule. Either one that makes you happy. Verse 23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and he was walking along the road, and some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. Now, some translations read um, that young children came out and jeered at him. And some of the translations you're reading this morning uh, might uh, say that. Um, that is uh, that is probably not an accurate translation, if that's what it says. It's a translation thing. Uh, if you want to examine it more, um, each week in this series, we're giving you what we call extra cookies. And so it's already online. Don't look now. Um, but it's already on your app. If you have your app, when you leave in the car, on the way to lunch or whatever, you can check it out. The extra cookie this week deals specifically with a, about a six-minute look at what really is taking place in this passage and what you need to understand about that particular translation and why sometimes people get a little wonky and sideways on it. It's easier to understand it this way. I'll give you a summary of it. Is that These were probably um, older teenage boys, maybe. Um, they could have been uh, in their early 20s. It would probably be best to think of them to understand this group um, as a gang. That who is, that's those who's come from Bethel to jeer at Elisha as he comes to town. Um, from numerous examples in the Old Testament, um, we know that those boys could have ranged that, that old, and we talk about that on the extra cookie. And so if you want to know more, if you're not satisfied when you're done here and you just got to dig in a little bit more, grab the excellent animal cookie this week. It's online. It'll be available for you, and check it out. But what's really happening here is that they are now representing the town. This gang comes out because the prophet of God, Elisha, is on his way. And this gang represents the attitude of the entire town toward God and toward the prophets of God. The people of Bethel did not want to hear Elisha. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They didn't want to talk uh, to him. He was going to bring them a message from God. They had no desire to hear it. They disrespected God. They disrespected the work of the prophets of God. And so, in other words, they were enemies of God. And it was a city that, that, that focused in idol worship where God just did not have a place. There was no room, no tolerance, no, uh, no bandwidth, if you will, uh, to, to add this message of God into the mix. And so this young gang comes out, and they mocked Elisha. The Hebrew word for that is quelos, which means to scoff, to ridicule, or scorn. In other words, it's not playful, kidding. It is very much a purposeful intent to hurt, to say something to hurt, um, to degrade, uh, to humiliate. And so they used the phrase twice, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Um, and we read that in the Bible, and we just pause because that's just funny. It's just funny because you don't find it anywhere else in the Bible, right? I mean, that's not common. Uh, that's just an unusual twist of a phrase. And so, and the fact that they use it twice we figure, you know, Elisha must be pretty thin-skinned. But that's not the case at all. Um, Elisha um, is, is not old when this happens. I mean, you hear this and you think, oh, okay, they're making fun of an old man that's coming into town who's lost all his hair, uh, and they're young, and so they're just ridiculing him because of his age, and he doesn't take it wrong. He's thin-skinned. Um, and that's not what's going on here. As a matter of fact, uh, Elisha probably was about 25 years old when this incident took place. He probably was just a little bit older than the gang of people that came out to make fun of him. And the reason we know that is because his ministry is just starting. He's just inherited the mantle uh, from Elijah. If you remember the story in the ramp up to that, Elijah actually came to where Elisha was still working for his father. He was still at home. He hadn't left home yet. He was working for his dad. So he's young. And we discover that for Elisha in ministry, there's another 60 years coming behind this. So this is at the outset of his ministry that this takes place. So he's probably just a little bit older uh, than uh, this group of 42, maybe 42 plus, who even that are coming out 
uh, and in front of him. Now, he could have been prematurely bald. We have no idea whether he was or wasn't. We have no idea. Scripture gives us no indication of that. There's no fancy Hebrew word that we can find some hidden meaning in. I'm just going to say, you know, yeah, yeah, he was prematurely bald. Um, he might have had a close clip haircut um, that was given to him to designate maybe his role as prophet. Anyway, whatever reason, um, he was bald. And this is how this gang identified him. The bald-headed prophet's on the way. And so when they called out to him and they said, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head, the insult isn't that they called him bald-headed. But see, when we read the passage on first pass, we gravitate toward that. And somehow, some way, we come up with whatever conclusion we want to come up with. The phrasing that was used is the big deal. And when they said, go on up, what they were doing was making a reference back to Elijah. And by saying that, they are talking about the moment that Elijah has been taken away from the earth on a chariot. And word has already started spreading about this event. Whether you're a God follower or not, you're hearing about this. And the word is spreading fast about this. And the prophet Elijah, who was well-known, well-respected, um, even if you didn't have anything to do with God, you knew who Elijah was and you feared him. And now he is gone, and now here is his replacement. Here is the one that he has chosen to come in, and now he is now entering cult center USA, worship of idols center USA. And they're not in the USA, so that was dumb. But neither here nor there. And as they kind of move in, as he moves in, and he begins coming in, they say, go up, you bald head. But the insult wasn't that he was bald-headed. The insult was that they were screaming, Go up. Go up. Because in that phrase, what they are doing is they're loading that phrase and they're saying, stay away from our town, leave the face of the earth just like the guy that you're following because you are no good to us and we don't want to hear you. And, gosh, there's a lot of people that you meet along the way that wish you would just disappear. And they don't say it this way. I mean, somebody that doesn't like you, when you walk into the room, they don't usually turn and scream at you and say, go on up, you moppy head. Go on up, you dress funny. But this was an insult because they were coming, as he came to the place outside of Bethel, they met him and they said, we want you and this whole God thing to just disappear like the other prophet did. We've got no place for you. We've got no time for you. You have no place in Bethel. You have no authority in Bethel. You're not supposed to be here. That's the insult. It has nothing to do with baldness. And so when you connect the dots of what's happening, all of a sudden you have a situation that's unfolding, and sometimes we don't get the whole situation. These are 42... Young men who have formed into a welcoming committee from a godless city to meet a prophet who greet him with an insult and tell him he needs to go away, die, disappear. And right now the odds are 42 to 1. Because don't kid yourself. When the prophet of God shows up in the bad guy's hometown... They do like home court advantage. And so all of a sudden, this is a moment where Elisha either is going to display some kind of action, adventure, movie hero moment where he can actually take on 42 people. Or this is a situation that can go horribly south. See, some people read this passage and they walk away and they just go, this is just weird because Elisha is this guy who just kind of throws this curse and then you know, 42 kids get mauled by bears. That's awful. But that's not what's going on in the passage. The passage is that the prophet of God stands in front of 42 who represent a whole city of folks who don't want anything to do with God or the prophet of God, and God protects him in the most amazing way. All depends on how you read the Bible. That's what's going on in the passage. And in just a moment, the bear traffic controller is going to get involved. And the best line of defense for the prophet of God is getting ready to be a couple of bears. This is an exciting story. Can you bear it? I mean, because we get down to the bare necessities of what we need to know, and it's all here and woven through this passage. 
Because Elijah was going about doing what he was called to do. He was being obedient. And he's going to take ridicule for it. And that's what he faced. Life hasn't changed that much. When you're trying to be obedient and trying to do things of God in a world that doesn't want to hear or see or have anything to do with the things of God, it can get tough sometimes. And yet each person in this room is called by God to be obedient. Obedience is who you're supposed to be. There will be some who don't understand your obedience. It just confuses them. And you may have the opportunity to dispense some wisdom for them if the opportunity arises. There'll be some who don't like the fact that you're trying to be obedient. And there are going to be some who will oppose and violently react to it, cruelly react to the fact that you're obedient. But remember this. If you're being obedient, as Elisha is, then you can rest assured that God is going to put you in the right place at the right time. And when he does... No matter what you think the circumstances are around you, God has something else in the mix. And it doesn't happen by accident. So this is not a mistake. Elisha's where he needs to be. He steps into a moment where it gets heated very quickly. It gets tough. He's in danger. He's at risk. And you remember last week we talked about the fact that obedience can be risky at times. And then Balaam's donkey, we discovered, he hadn't done anything wrong. But he's just getting the stuff and beat out of him. And God shows up and uses situations, circumstances, and you in just the right way. Bill Norman shares the following story. He's a pastor and had this encounter. I was walking down a dimly lit street late one evening when I heard muffled screams coming from behind a clump of bushes. Alarmed, I slowed down to listen and panicked when I realized that what I was hearing were the unmistakable sounds of a struggle. Frantic scuffling, tearing of fabric, and only yards from where I stood, a woman was being attacked. Should I get involved? I was frightened for a moment for my own safety. And... I curse myself for having suddenly decided to take a new route home for the night at the last moment. What would happen if I would become another statistic? Shouldn't I just run to the nearest phone and call the police? And although it seemed like an eternity, the deliberations, all of those deliberations that were going on in my head took only two, three seconds. But in the two or three seconds while I was deliberating, I realized that the cries of the, gro of the girl were growing weaker. I knew I had to act fast. How could I walk away from this? No, I resolved I could not turn my back on the fate of this unknown woman, even if it meant risking my own life. He writes, I'm not a brave man, nor am I athletic. And I don't know where I found the moral courage and the physical strength, but once I had finally resolved to help the girl, I became strangely transformed. And I ran behind the bushes. I pulled the assailant off of the woman. Grappling, we fell to the ground, where we wrestled for a few minutes until the attacker finally jumped up and escaped. I was exhausted, panting hard, feeling the rush of adrenaline begin to dissipate. I was scrambled upright and approached the girl who was crouched behind a tree, sobbing. And in the darkness, I could barely see her outline, but I could certainly sense her trembling shock. And not wanting to frighten her anymore, I decided to stop and speak to her from a distance so as to not to alarm her. It's okay, I said soothingly. The man has run away. You're safe now. And there was a long pause, and I heard the words uttered in wonder and amazement. Daddy, is that you? And I looked as my daughter Catherine stepped out from behind the tree. He goes on to share that it was not an accident that at the last minute he changed his direction on the way home. It wasn't an accident that in the midst of all of the things that were going on in his head, all of the options that he was playing out of, all the things that could happen, all the scenarios that could take place, there was something overwhelmingly compelling him to move into action and do what needed to be done, only to discover that God had put him in the right place at the right time in the toughest situation to face the darkest moment that his daughter was facing so he could be the moment of rescue for her. And 
in an amazing story, we realize that God simply was moving the pieces together to put him in the right place at the right time, at the right moment, to do what needed to be done. And he was obedient. And that obedience put him at risk. And that obedience could have gotten him hurt. And the obedience saved his daughter. See, God has an amazing way when we're obedient of taking us and putting us where we need to be. And sometimes it gets a little tricky. It gets a little scary. It gets our heart pumping and our blood begins to rush and we begin to find ourselves in situations sometimes that we feel like we're over our head. And here's what you have to remember. God's got it. It's okay. See, if you're living your life striving to be obedient and get it right and be the person that God has created you to be, even when it gets tough, even when it gets a little bit ugly and a little bit overwhelming and confusing, it's okay. God's got it. The problem that we have with obedience is that so many of us, we never put obedience to the test because we're just not really sure that we believe that God's got this. We talked about it last week. We talk about it often. We want God to change our circumstances. He's working to move our character. We say, God, get me out of this situation. Get me out of this circumstance. If you really loved me, you would change this. If you were good, you would change this. And God said, I'm not going to change it because I'm using this to make you a better you. If I change it, you'll never be the person you need to be. You'll never become the best version of you. But you'll never become the best version of you until you make the decision to be obedient. And so Elisha knows where he's going. Elisha is walking into the heart of God-hater big time. And just on the outside of town, what does he run into? He runs into a street gang. And it's not the street gang from West Side Story. They don't come out snapping and singing. We're not going to settle this with a fancy song and dance. We're going to settle it with a you go up, you bald head, we want you dead. Why? Maybe we can help you. And Elisha is there, and he's facing down this gang, and he doesn't back off. And I think it's gutsy, because think what he does. He curses them. He brings down a curse from God. He puts a curse from God on them. And I don't know what he does. We don't get a whole lot of details about the curse that he throws, what he says, but I bet you it didn't make them happy. And they started snapping harder. Oh, yeah, we're coming to get you now, dude, baldy. Here we go. And, of course, in, in just a few moments, here come the bears. And out of the woods, they come. So let's talk about that in just a minute. So the second thing I want you to see is, and then bear were none. Or dealing with a bearable reality. Verse 24, he turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And the two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. The curse carries the idea of judgment. Um, it's real. These guys have decided to stand opposite God. They've decided to stand opposite the prophet of God. And so the prophet of God reacts by cursing them, and God moves. In the Bible, in some of your translations, you may have the word she-bear there. That may be how your translation reads. Um, it's correct. Uh, and it sometimes can take you a while to figure it out, um, because I'd always grown up hearing the story of the she-bears, but when I looked in Hebrew and was studying, it, the word is only bear. It doesn't say she-bear. So I'm thinking, why, why would they come up with the word she-bear if it's actually just... A bear. I mean, a bear is a bear. A bear. Who cares? So why she bear? Why does some translator grab that? Well, when you read the word two in reference to the bears, in the Hebrew it's feminine in form, so that means that, that the bears would be feminine. So that's how they came up with she bears. So it's an accurate translation. So if your Bible says she bears, and that matters to you, it's absolutely right. But it's also then, um, how do you know that all forty-two of the youth were male? Because how do we don't know uh, some girls in the gang? Well, because for the same reason. Uh, the word that's used for the males uh, is, is, is masculine when it talks about um, the youth, 2 and 40. That is masculine in reference to them. And so 
sometimes when you get a translation, you get it going, sometimes it's easy to kind of miss out on why they got where they got. So, accurate, these were she-bears that are coming out of the woods. They're attacking 42 males that have come out in this gang to criticize and ridicule the prophet. And the Lord is the one who designated what the punishment would be and sent the bears out to deal with the boys. So make sure you hear me. God sent the bears to maul the boys. Why? Because this was a group of people that stood opposite him and opposite what he wanted to do and threatened his prophet and threatened the work that he had called the prophet to do. It was probably, in case you want to know, a Syrian brown bear. It could reach a standing height of six feet, probably 500 pounds. Most scholars believe that that's the bear referred to in the Bible. And the statement that Elisha is making here is a warning statement to all of Israel because what he is saying is letting it be known that if you don't listen and don't have a heart for God, you will be cursed and your nation is going to be attacked and it's going to be hurt. And there's a high price to pay for not taking the things of God seriously. And if you don't want to take the things of God seriously, you will be cursed. And sometimes, I think, that people forget that God takes very seriously what he calls us to do. And he takes very seriously how people react. And that's important for you and me to know as we go out into the places that we find ourselves each day. We're called to be obedient. Simple obedience. Do what you do. See, we always worry about results. And we figure if we're going to be obedient, there needs to be some kind of attainable, markable, trackable result. Because we live in a result-oriented world. So in other words, if I have to go over here and I need to do these three things for God, I need to be able to see these three results or something went horribly wrong and I heard God wrong or it didn't work right. Your job is never to worry about the results. Your job has nothing to do with worrying about the response. That's God's problem. Your problem, your job is always to do what you were asked to do. Boom, that's it. No more, but no less. And when you do that, then God immediately takes what you do. He'll bless you because you're obedient. He'll bless the work that you're doing or bless whatever you're called to do. And then God begins to work on whatever response he feels like needs to happen. And just after you've done what you needed to do, then whoever you shared with, whoever you've ministered to, whoever you poured your life into, they have a choice to make. They can respond, and they can deal with God because you've given them what they needed. See, in our world, we figure, well, it's a complete waste of time. I did that. I prayed for that person. Nothing happened. I showed them kindness, and they acted like it wasn't a big deal. I gave them a gift, and they acted like they didn't appreciate it. I poured my life into them, only to have them turn and stab me in the back three or four times. I wish I had some she bears to send their way. I mean, we have that kind of thought sometimes. Because somehow we think that it's about the results that we see from what God is doing. And I want you to know something. One of the things that you've got to come to grips with when you follow God is simply this. The results are His. He's the one that balances the books. Your job, obedience. No whining, no griping, no groaning, obedience. No what-ifs, no what-fors, no, well, God, but if I did this, shouldn't this happen? Maybe it shouldn't, maybe it shouldn't. That's up to God. That's not your problem. But every time you try to take what's not your problem and make it your problem, then you got a problem. Because then your problem is you're trying to be God. Elijah did his job. Bless you. Elijah did his job. They threatened him. He cursed him in the name of the Lord. And he waited. There's nothing to indicate that Elisha knew there were bears coming. I think, I think when he turned and he saw the bears coming out of the woods, if, if I were Elisha, I'd go, whoo, bear. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I would, I would not walk toward the gang and I wouldn't walk toward the bears. I'd walk this way. And wait, you know, and then, then you're back in that old joke again. I don't have to outrun the bears. I just have to outrun one of you. And I think that's the dynamic that's happening for a minute until God says, stop. And Elisha says, hmm. And he kind of holds up for a minute and he watches. And then, ugh. 
You got a bad show on the Adventure Network. <laughs> but recognize the grim and powerful reality of this passage. God isn't playing and he's not joking. And he takes things seriously. Obedience is always the best thing for you. No matter what anybody else around you does. And that's kind of wild and crazy. And it kind of goes against the way that we're wired. Because we want instant gratification. We want immediate response. We want a little bit of pushback. We want a little love. And you're not guaranteed of that. But you are called to represent Him and do what He says to do. Alexander the Great, um, historically one of the great military generals who ever lived, um, conquered almost the entire world with his vast army. Uh, a lot of stories about him. But one night during a campaign, he couldn't sleep. He left his tent to walk around where his... Uh, army was encamped. As as he was walking about, he came across a soldier who had fallen asleep on guard duty, which was a serious offense. As a matter of fact, it was a penalty that could be levied, depending on who decided to levy it. Um, It could be instant death. The rule of the day was that the commanding officer poured kerosene on the sleeping soldier and would light it while he was asleep. Harsh, quick, that was, rule. that was the rule. And the soldier began to rouse and wake up as Alexander the Great was approaching. And recognizing who he was standing in front of, he knew he was getting ready to die. Do you know what the penalty is for falling asleep on guard duty? Alexander the Great asked the soldier. Yes, sir, said the soldier in a quivering voice. Soldier, what's your name? demanded Alexander the Great. And the soldier said, Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great raised his eyebrows and said, What is your name? And he said, My name is Alexander, sir. A little bit more quietly. And a third time, and more loudly, Alexander the Great looked at the soldier and said, What is your name? And the soldier said, Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great then walked up to the soldier, grabbed him by the tunic, and pulled him to his nose. And nose to nose looked at him and said, Soldier, either change your name or change your conduct. And he threw him to the ground and walked away and let him live. You and I, if in this room, where people who are watching, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a name that you are carrying that sometimes we're a little bit flippant with and we don't think it's a big deal. And I want you to hear me this morning. It's a big deal. And we need to understand that the call to obedience is a serious call and a call that's important. And you are a follower of Jesus Christ because He has called you and set you apart for something great. And we need to take that seriously because it's His name that we live under, march under, and it's Him that we represent. And even in moments when we barely think we're going to make it, it's okay because He's got it. Because he's got you. And no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances are, you're his child. You're his. And you bear his name. And that makes you different. See, our call, no matter what's going on around us, is to be obedient. When life is good, be obedient. When the odds are overwhelming, be obedient and trust God to do what only God can do and believe me when I tell you he can do things that you can't he is the bear traffic controller he is the creator and sustainer of the universe and he put you together and knew you before you were ever born and he has a plan for your life and he invites you to be a part of it would you bow your heads and hearts and let's pray Heavenly Father, 
sometimes it is easy for us to go through the motions. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget. Sometimes it's easy for us not to remember how important it is that we do what it is that you've called us to do. And sometimes we forget how serious you take it when we don't do what you say. And Lord, it is a strange passage to be sure. A little bit of humor at some of the language in it, certainly. But there is a sobering moment in it when we have to come face to face with the fact that being called by you, being set apart by you, sets us apart for something that is very special. And we're reminded that we'll meet resistance, but yet we're also reminded that you'll be with us. For some in this room, for some who will watch, download, listen later, there's a decision that they need to make. It is a decision to believe, trust, and follow Jesus. And for each person who has never made that decision, then they're not following you. They don't know you. And that's a choice that they need to make and they need to take care of. And so I pray that before they would leave this room this morning, before uh, they would uh, quit watching and listening uh, to what they're listening to now, I pray that they would take a moment and fill out um, the response page on the worship flyer that they got on the way in the door that they would drop a note in the offering box, the giving box on the way out the door, that they would fire an email to us and simply say, I, I want to make that decision. I want to accept Jesus. Help me uh, understand what I need to do next and help me understand how to move forward from there. Because that decision changes the trajectory of your life forever. There's others who have made that decision, but obedience sometimes is a little bit overwhelming. And on a weekend when we take the time to remember the sacrifice of others, the truth is that our life, our world sometimes is much more about ourself than sacrifice. Help us to remember that we have the freedom to live and become everything we were created to be because of you, because of the places you put us, because of the sacrifice of others, but more importantly, because of the sacrifice you made for us on the cross and how you defeated death so that we might live. And as a result of that, help us to change and be more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you now why. It's simple. Last week, many of you got um, uh, prayer buddies. Um, some of you noticed there were a few kind of tucked away in the building, uh, and you've seen them along the way, and I know some of you have been looking, at, looking for them. And you've asked the question, uh, you know, do we have more? We don't. I mean, you guys were great, and you guys took your prayer buddies last week, and, and so that was cool. But the idea behind it was simply this. Put that prayer buddy somewhere, um, and every time you see it, just pray this prayer, God, help me do something wild for you. And we challenged you to do that, and then uh, kind of jot down in your journal at the end of every day, what did, what did God, where did God use you today in an unexpected way? What did God do that you didn't think he was going to do. And, and he does those kinds of things. And, and so allow God to use you and move you in amazing ways. And then uh, if you want to, and some of you did this last week, and we appreciate it, it was such a good idea, uh, go ahead and do it again. Some of you uh, got creative, and you took a picture of where you put your prayer buddy and sent it to us. Um, so, we, so we would know that you're praying. Go ahead and do that with your cell phones if you want to. Uh, let us know that you're doing that. If you want to post it somewhere to your social media sites, hashtag it, C434. Um, and do that, and feel free to do that. But let us know. Uh, let us see where you're putting them, uh, and, and that would be great and greatly appreciated.